Hello, Flow Magic fans. Welcome to the podcast today. We're very excited to have some guests with us. We have Jackie from Courageous Survival and Carla as well. Jackie is the director, organizer. What's your title? I'm the founder and director of Courageous Survival. <laughs> yes. And, and Carla's our one of our peer support members. Wonderful. A first responder. Yes, firefighter. firefighter. Yes, we're so happy to have you here today to just talk about the um, programs that you guys deliver for our first responders and our veterans and, and the population of people you mm -hmm. serve and how we've kind of got connected. So, Jackie, I'm going to let you just kind of go right in. Well, thank you for having us. I really appreciate it. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful that Carla was able to join us as well. Mm -hmm. She's been a huge help, especially in this region. So um, so we're an Idaho-based nonprofit that we um, do have a few members out of in other states, but the majority of our peer support members and mental health advisors are here in Idaho. Um, so we have an extensive resource guide, which um, you've seen before, and we've mm -hmm. got information on Float Magic in here. Um, resource guide with everything from crisis resources to vetted counselors, nonprofits that help pay for counseling, PTSD programs, facilities, inpatient, um, alternative therapy and wellness, which I'm so grateful to you guys. We've seen such a huge increase in first responders and veterans and their families connecting with resources. And I'm so grateful to be able to work with you guys here. Yeah. Um, and then besides the resource guide, we've got peer support members like Carla, active duty, first responders, retired um, spouses, significant others, you know, and veterans as well that are all on our peer support team. We work with mental health advisors and we've got about 70 first responders and veterans and folks across the state of Idaho and a couple into other areas, like I mentioned um, that are on our peer support teams. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty excited about that. We do trainings. We respond after critical incidents. And in fact, over here in the Twin Falls area, we've actually responded. Um, we've done eight critical incident debriefs this year, and seven of them have been in the Region 5 area, anywhere from Twin to Jerome, Gooding, Hagerman, um, Fairfield, up to Sun Valley um, area. Wow. So you've done eight total this year. Uh, we've done eight critical incident debriefs and this year. Seven of them in our are seven in of our them region. have been in Region Five. Wow! So wow. yeah, we're so getting you're pretty over familiar. Here. Yeah, yes, a lot. So yeah. which we greatly appreciate that they have that resource. Can you kind of explain what a critical debriefing is? Yeah, absolutely. So a critical debriefing is um, it's based off of the international organization critical incident. International Critical Incident Stress Management Debriefs. Um, it's the model that we've trained to use. A lot of first responders use that after a really bad critical incident, whether it's a death, fatality, or officer-involved shooting, any of that kind of thing. We go in 24 to 48 hours is the goal. Mm -hmm. We've done some a little bit longer than that afterwards, just because it's harder to get to the rural agencies um, in a timely manner because of their schedules and stuff. But um, the goal is to try to get in within 24 to 48 hours and do a mental health debrief. Mm -hmm. It's different than a tactical debrief. Um, we've been able to do that and then talk to them about that. Talk to them about the normal psychological, physical, cognitive, you know, all the different type behavioral type of responses that they might see or experience and not realize that it's actually related to 
responding to a trauma um, as a post-traumatic stress injury. And so we educate about that. We help them talk through that trauma because talking through it helps them to process it and then connect them with resources. And out of those debriefs, just in the last two and a half months, since you guys launched the eWell Lifeline Pass, we've actually, um, with those debriefs, we've actually referred in over 70 first responders Mm -hmm. to take advantage of those passes. And it has been phenomenal. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You have been um, such a huge supporter of that process and and definitely funneling most of our clients that we're seeing through you right now. So it's, it's, it's a sad um, reality that we're seeing this uptick in trauma incidents and um, this pressure out in our, mm-hmm. on our highly skilled law enforcement and especially trained firefighters yeah. and our uh, first responders is it's, it's wonderful that they are equipped to do what they do, but um, the amount of pressure and stress that they're under right now is is really what instigated us getting the EWL into place. Because for every trauma that our community is experiencing, our law enforcement and critical yeah. response units are... Every time one of those, yeah, every time one of those critical incidents happens, it's literally most of the time it's those people that are involved that were sometimes the worst day of their life. Right. Um, And our first responders experience that on a daily basis. Yeah. Sometimes multiple. Mm -hmm. In fact, while we were on our way here, there was a a pretty good incident right by the bridge. Um, And so they, um, and a few days ago, there was just a, a, ITD traffic person that was killed Mm -hmm. um, and stuff with all the construction. And so these are calls that they're going to and the amount of trauma that they're exposed to, especially over years, is just so tremendous. You know, average person, maybe one or two critical incidents in their lifetime. Um, Our first responders, typically after 20, 25 years, they've experienced more like 800. Wow. Which our brains are not really designed to handle that kind of trauma. And so it makes sense that we need to get them the resources and help them to build resilience because there are things that can be done. Um, Trauma, you can't erase that trauma. What you can do is help mitigate a lot of the secondary trauma that happens that develops into post-traumatic stress injury. If you get them the support they need right away, if you help them build resilience, get them tools, um, which I'm so grateful, like I said earlier, about the EWell Lifeline Pass because we've had so many that have experienced it. And I believe you're going to have a couple of our first responders on. Um, and Carla has actually been one of them that's taken advantage yes. of the EWell Lifeline Pass. Yes. We've got another first responder from um, a different area that's come in specifically to take advantage of the EWell Lifeline Pass as well. Mm-hmm. And um, yesterday they said that after doing the ART and the float, um, and the photobiomodulation light and the services here, that that made such a huge difference. It had taken that person down from a 10 of where they were at of as far as stress level down to a zero. Oh, wow. And that was a huge blessing. Yeah, so that's incredible. Yeah. And that, that just, that just fills me with a lot of joy because that knowing the impact of the services that we have here, it's, it's wonderful that it's getting applied in such a way that it's understood how they react to somebody's fight or flight process and how they help people get out of that space. So exactly, exactly. And I mean, for those of you guys who aren't, you know, don't know exactly what we're talking about is the accelerated resolution therapy. Um, It's similar to EMDR, eye movement Mm -hmm. desensitization and reprocessing. Um, The difference is, and that's been around for quite a while. And a lot of people who've specialized in trauma 
um, especially significant trauma for our first responders and veterans have been doing EMDR for quite a while. However, there's been a shift um, over to accelerated resolution therapy, which is based off of EMDR. However, some of the differences are is you don't have to talk about the trauma while you're doing the eye movement desensitization exercises and um, it's been pretty phenomenal. We've had some first responders that have had, you know, been having night sweats and night terrors and daytime visions and flashbacks and panic attacks and anxiety and all that kind of stuff. And after doing the Ewell passes, they've noticed a huge significant difference in those emotional triggers, as well as the incidents themselves, not having nightmares anymore, you know, not having those daytime flashbacks and those panic attacks and, and that kind of stuff. So I don't know if um, Carla is interested in sharing her experience with mm-hmm. the Ewell. Yeah. So I wanted Carla to kind of talk about her position and what she does as a first responder. And then, yeah. And if you feel inclined to talk about your experience, we'd love to let our audience hear about it. Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, So I'm a firefighter. I've been on uh, Shoshone City and Rural Fire Protection District for about two years now. Uh, And I joined the Courageous Survival Peer Support Team about six months ago now, I guess. And uh, Jackie's so wonderful. I've already been to a couple of trainings on critical incident stress management, uh, how to how to facilitate those debriefings, and uh, and I attended an assist suicide intervention training as well. Um, and I I had some background in mental health. I'd been working with a nonprofit that focused on mental health for about ten years. We had really focused uh, primarily on teens at risk and veterans. Um, with a little bit with first responders, but then I joined the first responder community. And of course that really, it's, you work with these guys every day and it's, your heart just opens for them, of course. Um, Cause it's some of the, some of the greatest people I've ever known uh, are the people that I get to work with every day. So uh, I got involved with the peer support team uh, in an effort to really bring mental health awareness to my community, especially in rural Idaho. I feel like mental health is often uh, not discussed. It's kind of taboo. Mm -hmm. And uh, especially in the community of first responders where there's so much, um, you you sort of spoke to the pressure to just be tough through it, you know, to just be strong all the time and always be ready for whatever is next. And uh, the pressure to be there for each other for your community. Um, and so a lot of, a lot of, uh, my experience was that a lot of the folks that I was working with weren't really comfortable with vulnerability or, uh, or exploring the mental health side of, of our world. So I, I joined the peer support team to try to be a part of that. And pretty quickly I was, uh, given the opportunity to provide some peer support for a fellow firefighter who was in a a time of crisis and kind of uh, coming out of the more acute stages of crisis and figuring out how uh, getting back into the community was going to look and going to work. And I had heard about the Ewell Pass. And so I said, hey, I haven't tried it yet. Let's go. And we'll just spend the day and try all the resources. And we did. And we spent a day here. And it was really magical watching this really tough early person just kind of melt into the comfort of the place and the the different uh services that were offered how they how they really uh, made him feel at ease and comfortable and like there was hope that 
he was going to be able to continue on a healing journey even after uh, everything he had gone through. So that was really neat and really powerful and empowering and impactful. And I, I got to uh, to participate as well, as Jackie mentioned, and I, I got to do uh, the accelerated resolution therapy, which I had not done before. I had done some EMDR in the past. And uh, I was just talking about it yesterday with the, the fellow first responder that Jackie mentioned who had come in from out of the area about ART and how even while it was happening, I was sort of like, I don't know that this is doing anything, you know, it was just kind of, well, I guess we're just having a conversation and it's sort of fine. Uh, but then later on, about a, a few days later, the thing that we had worked on in my session came up in my, in my life in a way that would have a week before triggered nausea and frankly, a, a weepy mess of tears. <laughs> and instead I felt empowered and strong and able to handle it. And it was pretty amazing. Wow. <laughs> it was yeah. really cool. So yeah. uh, I'm a, I'm a big cheerleader for it. And I'm always encouraging the folks that I work with to come try it out and the different services. I mean, the float, the float opportunities are so cool here. I had done a pod before and you guys mm -hmm. have the, the, three different options for floating, yeah. which is so nice because the pod didn't really suit me super well. Sure. And I love the, is it the cabin? Cabin. cabin. I love yeah. the cabin. I'm all about the cabin. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that was great. And the, um, just all of it. I mean, it, it was just such a wonderful way to spend a day just self-care, you know, yeah. in the truest sense. Yeah. So I'm really thankful for you guys providing that because it's so needed. I I love that it's making such an impact in in the way that you resolve that trauma that you guys face. I think I've heard it referred to as vicarious trauma. You know, mm -hmm. it's this compounded effect of trauma that just and and the mind isn't equipped to do deal with 800 mm -hmm. in a lifetime traumatic events like Jackie had mentioned. And so getting that out of your body in a in a timely manner before it settles into PTSD or a continuous trigger down the road is, is really the aim of, of having the lifeline so accessible so early. So it's even, even in old trauma, like we've had a lot of people come in and deal with older incidences that they've, they've had, whether it be years ago or most often, most of what we're seeing being presented later in life in business or in their careers is compounded by what was experienced mm -hmm. when they were younger yes. and some form of trauma that they never really that they buried that it's now surfacing and so so it's it's just um it does my heart so well to hear you speak of of the impact that it's made in in your your life and the people that you're referring around you. And, and that's what we're seeing with our first responders is this isn't a one and then they be quiet about it. It's so impactful to them that they go and they tell everybody about it. And, and same with a lot of our teens that we've seen as well. It's, it's almost like this acceptance piece just comes into play where they accept that, Hey, I can deal with this and I can put it in its proper space because this is not me. It's something that happened to me. It's not something that I 
yeah. created or something that I caused. It is is something I have to deal with. And they're almost able to remove themselves from being tied into that problem so closely. So yeah. it's a it's a beautiful thing to witness. So well, and there's such a stigma surrounding PTSD. Um, you know, you mentioned the cumulative effect. And if if people haven't heard of it, a lot of the language that we're trying to change is getting people to realize post-traumatic stress injury, um, which our Idaho Workers' Comp acknowledges now as well, oh, good. That, um, that they're able to be covered first responders under that, including volunteer first responders, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. And we've actually had quite a few first responders in this area that we have been able to get help through Workers' Comp as well and work with the inpatient facilities. And then as they come out, either before they go, getting them in a space where they're a little bit more, you know, stabilized or as they're coming out to add in the eWell services as a part of that treatment and stuff. And it's been pretty phenomenal to see how that has helped them Mm -hmm. to make that transition, not just with the resolving of a lot of the trauma, but then transitioning into going back into their life and engaging in their life. And so I'm so incredibly grateful. I cannot thank you enough, Shawnee and (laughs) Melissa and Mm -hmm. Zach and Jalen and, and the The United Way and yeah, Sonia and and Felice and and everybody for all that they're doing to make this happen. It's, it's so phenomenal. I mean, before I started Courageous Survival, I were, I volunteered as a, as an assistant director of a mental health and wellness conference Um, training across the country um, Mm -hmm. for a couple of years. And I would get to hear speakers and get to know resources from all across the country. And so I would always, part of my job was to look for resources in that area where we were going into Orlando, Seattle, Houston, you know, other big cities. And I could never find anything like Float Magic. There's a facility that we've worked with for quite a few years since 2018 in Nampa, Elevate Mind Body Studios. And that's honestly how we first got into alternative therapy options is because we had a veteran there that was on 17 different meds with the VA, three suicide attempts, angry all the time, disconnected from family and friends. He went to Save a Warrior, which is a nonprofit we work with, and went through their intensive, came home, and as a part of his bucket work mm-hmm. of doing the work, he started floating twice a week as a recommendation from a fellow veteran. Because when they hear it from another veteran right. or another first responder, right. they're more likely to go try it, right? Yes. So he did, and he's been five years sober. He's been four years off all his meds. Yeah. He went back to school, got married. They have a beautiful family. Blake just turned a year old, and he works as one of our peer support and one of our veteran advocates and advisors. Um, and so I'm so grateful because now what you have done with the whole wellness facility and just taken it to a whole nother level of bringing in a therapist, you know, multiple therapists that have come in and being able to utilize them along with the photo, you know, the photo biomodulation light, which we learned in in May yeah, that, um, at, the at the 22 jumps, jumps event, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, that they talked, they brought in scientists from New York and University of Utah that talked about how photobiomodulation light is one of the most successful that they've seen in the last 10, 20 years of helping um, with TBI, traumatic brain injury yeah. and PTSD. Especially and with firefighters. That's it, been their demographic that exactly, they focused on. That they yeah. did. Yeah, they did that study with firefighters and EMS out of Las Vegas. And to hear that and, you know, and know that, like, I remember texting you in the audience while we were listening to that and going, <laughs> yeah. oh, my gosh. And so you added that you know, into the eWell package so that they mm-hmm. get to do that too. And yep. it's just really incredible that you guys have this resource here in Twin 
when like there's nothing really like it in the Pacific Northwest. No, there's not. We get pe- we get people in from the demographics like the large, mm-hmm. you know, urban cities that you were talking about of Seattle and and um in California and even people from Florida and they're like we have never seen this combination of therapies anywhere we've gone yeah. and and what a gift it is to this community. Um, and, and there are people in this community who understand what a gift it is too. And so it's, it's really rewarding to see your vision and your dream come to life and not knowing the impact it would have, but believing it would have an impact and then seeing that impact that there's nothing better. It's it's a pretty rewarding process. And it validating. is. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm sure it's got to be very. And you're, I mean, gosh, you have such a story too with the trauma that you've lived through and, and your experience as a nurse. And I think that that just really adds a lot of credibility to the, mm-hmm. the people that are coming in that you're serving, as well as other people as they learn about your resources. Because, I mean, collaboratively, we're working with hospitals, we're working with first responder agencies, yes. we're, you know, working we're with part, the crisis have- center. Yeah. You know, our, our partners. Yeah, Lisa yeah. was. Yeah, our our partners are very. They're they're vetted in our success because they see it. They know, they they know that that this is making an impact, and it's it's great. So because they hear stories, I mean, and that's the other thing. I'm just so grateful for the individuals who've gone through the Ewell process who are willing to share their stories. So thank you, Carla, for sharing your story Um, and all the others out there who have been sharing their story about what they're seeing uh, this do for them. That's that's how we instigate change. That's how the shift happens. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think a big piece of that, too, is just the collaboration Mm -hmm. of all the different people and organizations coming together to really support the community. You know, unfortunately, it took a great need you know, where those demographics, you know, were identified as those that were struggling the most to come together with real solutions and to lay down egos, to lay down rackets, to lay down, you know, credit and who gets credit and whatever, and just to work together to serve people. Um, And then to be able to, as a peer support team, we wouldn't be able to do what we do if there weren't incredible resources, you know, like you guys, um, to be able to refer people to, you know. Well, and and our, you know, we we identified those two caps of first responders and teens being the major needs for mental health in our community. That's a lot of people ask, well, what about, you know, veterans and what about nurses and what about, you know, there's, there's a lot of individuals in our community that are under the stress of what these last three years have brought about. Um, but we had to focus primarily on those two veins because those were our biggest gaps. Those were the gaps that we didn't have resources for. But our hope, of course, is to open this up to more individuals to take advantage when we can prove that it's helping in the in the teen vein and the first responder vein at the level it has. We're hoping that funding can open up so we can pull in more people to take advantage of what we've created. So. Yeah. And just to be clear, too, um, they're, you know, they're working on funding, of course, especially with so many first responders taking advantage of this just in the last, you know, in the first two months that you guys have had in existence. But um, but beyond that, to expand funding for those other, you know, like you're working with St. Luke's and working with other facilities and they're trying to get veterans approved. But it doesn't mean that people can't come in and use these services on their own. It's true. Um, 
And yeah. the prices really honestly are very reasonable. I mean, we have two daughters. You know, my husband is a retired police officer and he's also a Marine Corps veteran. And we have two daughters that are suicide attempt survivors. And we honestly, she spent, our youngest spent three months in three different hospitals and we had to fly her clear back to Indiana because nobody in the whole Pacific Northwest would take her because she was too suicidal after her attempt and um, too much layered trauma. And so I would have in a heartbeat driven to twin, you know, or whatever, or even known about Elevate at that time, which, you know, wasn't in existence at that time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just to have these so accessible, I would have done it in a heartbeat. And so, you know, it's really not that expensive. Not, no, yeah, it's not. We flew our daughter clear across the country to Indiana to get the help that she needed when right. she finally got. When you think of it in a preventative care space too, like, mm-hmm. yeah, inpatient is not inexpensive. <laughs> you know, inpatient uh, no. is an extremely expensive option. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's a, really heart-wrenching option for the families and the person involved. I mean, the outcomes are are well, but going through that process is a it's yeah. a big stress on a family. So when you're putting yourself in a position of preventative care and emotional fitness, which is which is truly our emotional wellness lifeline is focused on that. You come in, it's a it's $450 um, to do the ART and and have access to everything that we have here at the center. And that is so phenomenal because, I mean, it was $2,400 a day. Yeah. And they required six weeks minimum for our youngest daughter to go inpatient. And I mean, so when you look at that, realistically, that is not that much. Right. Um, And there are grants and other funding that you can search out and, you know, and stuff like that if you can't afford that. But to have that option is just incredible. Yes. And we actually have had individuals come in and just take advantage of the E-Well and pay for it because they see the value of of doing this for themselves or their family. So, yeah. Well, I greatly appreciate that you two came on today. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience before we sign off? Just, I'd just like to thank you again. Uh, You kind of referenced volunteer uh, firefighters, and I just want to kind of give a shout out that 80% of our firefighters in the United States are volunteer. Yeah. So when we talk about financial barriers to, to these kind of preventative measures, most of these people work full-time jobs and they give all of their spare time to serving their communities. And so often finances are a burden. And uh, so to have it be free to first responders is just such a huge blessing. And I'm really grateful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up that point because there really is, um, you know, fire and EMS, as you mentioned, across the United States, 80% is all volunteer. Um, and so these people are coming out at two o'clock in the morning on a call and getting out of bed and they're not at the station waiting for the call. You know, they're mm-hmm. coming out and they're showing up for these people. And so these rural areas, it, you know, people are like, oh, it's not like Chicago or New York or even Boise. Right. With the amount of calls, although I would um, argue that over the last hundred deadliest days of summer that, the, yeah. you know, the fact that we've been down here so many times with critical incidents. But the even when there's not the volume of calls, the rural areas are impacted so much greater 
um, than the more metropolitan because there's a connection. There's a connection to the community members. Yeah. It's, you know, potentially somebody they know or maybe their, you know, their daughter's friend or their high school teacher or, or a relative. Yeah, because, or a relative yeah. or somebody that they're going to a really bad call or a domestic or anything. And then they typically will have less resources available as right. well. Yeah. And so um, I'm just grateful that this is centered you know, Twin Falls is growing, but um, there it's still considered very rural around here, and all the areas, the counties around it, you guys serve them as well. Yes, and so I'm so grateful to have this option for them. So yeah. thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's our pleasure for sure. So well, appreciate you ladies coming on mm-hmm. and speaking with us today, and hopefully um, our audience can take this home and and share it with those people in their lives that they know could really benefit from this information. So, want to thank you all for tuning in today. Um, really appreciate being able to bring this information in front of you. That you take the time to watch our podcast. We have a wonderful following, and just want to take a moment to show gratitude and appreciation for you as well. So thanks for tuning in and remember it's perfectly okay to stay salty.